Praise the Lord. I want to uh, uh, read three or four pages from a book uh, entitled Christ the Healer by F.F. F. Bosworth uh, to begin tonight's service. And, um, and in doing that, let me give you a little background on Brother Bosworth. Um, he was pretty well retired from ministry. He had been in, in uh, different kinds of ministry, different kinds of ministry for many years. And he had gotten to the point where he was just about retired. But in 1947, shortly after he had retired, uh, there was a healing revival that started here in America. And it, was, it ran from 1947 to about 1958. And um, I heard about it, I've since read a lot about it, but I heard about it first from Brother Hagin. Because he, he talked about, he used to talk about how that, um, because that was the way that the Holy Ghost was moving. He said it was the easiest thing in the world to get people healed. He talked about um, uh, a couple that he knew that had worked with him at an earlier time, uh, earlier than, than when the healing revival started. And he said that they were, um, the couple is a man and wife. She played the piano. He sang, led, led worship, congregational singing, and so forth. And uh, he said they were great people. They had a beautiful spirit about them, real good handling the, the uh, platform activities, uh, emceeing the services and making the, the announcements that needed to be made and that type of stuff. He said, but when the healing revival started, he, that, that couple came to him and said that, uh, that they felt impressed to go out on the road on their own. And he said they had a, a gift to uh, handle the preliminaries and lead in, in worship and things like that. That gift was clearly evident. But he, Brother Hagin said that he had never seen another gift on them other than that. But because the moving of the Holy Ghost was going that direction, they just kind of got into the flow of the river, so to speak. And they wound up having great miracles and, and phenomenal, fabulous stuff happened as a result of, of um, what the Holy Ghost was doing. Well, Brother Bosworth, F.F. F. Bosworth, as I said, had pretty well retired from ministry. He still did uh, had some speaking engagements, but they were few and far between because he was uh, getting older, and, and so he just felt like he was supposed to slow down. But when the healing revival started, it kind of thrust him. There were circumstances involved that kind of thrust him back into the ministry. One of the uh, most well-known people in the healing revival was uh, William Branham. And Brother Branham was in from backwoods nowhere America. And uh, he, he was very, well, he was unknown. I started to say he was little known, but he was unknown anybody until this healing revival started but the gift that God had placed on him talked to him about having some years before but finally placed on him in 1946 1947 around that time was such that he stood in the prophet's office he would tell people by the word of knowledge what their condition was and um, very specific stuff very very specific stuff details about their condition or about their lives or whatever it might be, whatever the Holy Ghost showed them. And then rarely did he ever lay hands on anybody. Now, most of the people in the healing revivals throughout the years um, ministered by the laying on of hands. But in order to start this thing and get it moving in the right direction, I guess, I mean, who knows the mind of the Lord on these things. But uh, for that reason, Brother Bosworth rarely ever laid hands on anybody, rarely ever touched anybody. There are some uh, video uh, recordings, uh, a few of them of his ministry and that type of stuff. But usually he would just tell people what their condition was and, and uh, 
after he described it and gave them enough information to recognize, for the people to recognize the supernatural nature of, uh, of this ministry, then he'd just say, well, go your way, you're healed. And spectacular things took place. Phenomenal things took place. Well, uh, Brother Branham was not a teacher by any means. He tried to teach later on in his ministry, and it got him out of the will of God and greatly hampered what well, led to his, his early demise, his early death, really, to be honest with you. But they saw the, the people that were working with him. There was a, a team of ministry leaders that, uh, that were traveling with Brother Branham and working together with him. And they came up with the idea, and I don't have any doubt that it was inspired by the Holy Ghost, but they presented the idea to Brother Branham to bring Brother Bosworth out of retirement and let Brother Bosworth travel with them in their crusades and everywhere that they went. Most of the work that was being done in those days were tent meetings, tent revivals, that type of stuff. And, uh, and so Brother Branham agreed with the idea of the, of the other ministers. So Brother Bosworth began traveling with Brother Branham and his, his uh, ministry. And he'd have teaching classes. He'd just teach on healing, teach on faith and healing in the mornings. And it generated such a, well, how do you say it? Such fabulous results. Because here he's flowing with the Holy Ghost with a totally different gift than Brother Branham had. Brother Branham would prophesy over people and see things by revelation, direct revelation of the Holy Ghost. And Brother Branham, uh, I'm sorry, Brother Bosworth in the morning services hardly ever had any manifestation of the Holy Ghost that you could see or tell. But he would teach on healing and his results in the daytime services would rival Brother Branham's results at night by the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. And so as a result of those last 10 or 11 years, uh, Brother Bosworth finally did retire at the end of the healing revival when it uh, began to wane, really the Holy Ghost in that direction began to wane. And, uh, and during that time, there were hundreds of thousands of reports and testimonies of people that were healed just by the teaching of the word. As time progressed, they would transcribe Brother Bosworth's sermons and they used some of that transcription to create some of the books that Brother Bosworth wrote. Well, I say wrote, that's kind of a, a misnomer. He didn't sit down and write anything, but they took these transcriptions and, and other sermons that he had preached and they gathered them together and published them in uh, paperback form or published them as books. Well, as such... One of the books that Brother Bosworth wrote is Christ the Healer. And if you don't have that, I would recommend most, most, most highly that you get one. Because it's a, it's a handbook for healing. It's the most comprehensive thing that I've ever seen on the subject of healing. Now, another good one is by T.L. Osborne called Healing the Sick. But Brother Osborne was a lot more of an exhorter, preacher type. Whereas Brother uh, Bosworth, his teaching just seems to fit so much better in, on the printed page. So I'm going to take a couple of pages from one of Brother Bosworth's, from uh, his book, Christ the Healer. And, uh, and I think you'll see why I'm, I'm reading this, and we'll make some comments on it afterwards. But let me just go ahead and start. This is chapter 9 of Christ the Healer, and the, the uh, chapter is entitled, The Faith That Takes. Faith is the evidence or title deed of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. In Jeremiah, a title deed is repeatedly spoken of as the evidence. Your deed is the evidence or proof that you own your home. 
Faith is the title deed to what you have not yet seen. When you have been given a deed to a home which you have not yet seen, you already have a home before you see it. Jesus repeatedly said, He that believeth hath. Moffat's translation of Hebrews 11.1 reads, Faith means we are convinced of what we do not see. In Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus commands us to believe we have received the things we pray for at the time we pray without waiting to see or feel them. On this condition, the promises, he promises, you shall have them. Faith for healing, the healing of your body is the same as faith for forgiveness. You are to believe on the authority of God's word that you were forgiven before you felt forgiven. Nowhere, nothing else is faith, for faith is the evidence of things not seen. As soon as the blessing we take by faith is manifested, faith for that blessing ends. If you are the beneficiary in a rich man's will, you are already wealthy the moment the rich man dies, though you have not seen any of the money. Just so, everything bequeathed to us in our Lord's last will and testament is already ours by virtue of the death of Jesus, the testator. Faith is simply using what belongs to us. Healing is the same as with forgiveness. We are to believe we have received healing at the time we pray before seeing it or feeling it. This is the confidence that the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 10, verse 35 and 36, tells us not to cast away. The reason is that this confidence has great recompense of reward. Peter tells us that it is the testing of our faith, that is the faith that believes we have received, that is more precious than gold. We are to believe that our prayer is granted at the time we pray, that we already have what we prayed for before we see it. This is the confidence referred to in 1 John 5, 14 and 15. We know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. The fig tree which Jesus cursed dried up not from the leaves that could be seen, but from the roots which were out of sight. By looking at the leaves, the death of the tree could not be detected at first. Now that's as far as we'll read. The, the rest of the chapter is just as good, but um, I wouldn't feel right standing up here reading the whole time that we're here. But these three, three or four pages, however much it was that we read, they are full of so many good ideas, divinely inspired ideas and explanations that, honest to goodness, I could take these thoughts and preach for a year. He just brings everything together. He talks about them all together. And in so doing, he, in, in my mind, he summarizes how faith works. And one of the most important things that he does one of the most important aspects of faith that he brings out is the timing of faith. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 11. We'll start talking about some of these points that he brings up. But let's start in Mark chapter 11. He talked about the fig tree. He talked about the difference in what you could see and what you couldn't see regarding the, the cursing of the fig tree and the, and the death of the fig tree. Let's start in verse 20. It says, And in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. You remember earlier in the chapter it tells us about how that Jesus came to the fig tree expecting it to have figs on it because of the, the leaves. The leaves were green. The tree was full. And that should have been a sign or an indication that the figs were ready. 
But he didn't find any figs on the tree, so he cursed it. And the disciples heard what he said. He said to the tree, he didn't say to God about the tree. He didn't pray one way or another. He said to the tree, spoke to the tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter. And the disciples heard it. So on the next morning, they're coming by, and Peter, calling to remembrance, said unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering said unto them, Have faith in God. For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now I want you to notice in verse 24 it talks about when. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when? Now the question or the, the issue for so many people on the subject of faith is when. It's timing. How long is something going to take? How long do we have to stand in faith? How long is it going to be? And nobody outside of divine revelation from God himself can answer that question for you. But the Bible does tell us something about time. Jesus does refer to time. But the time is not referred to in the context or concerning the time that we see the answer. Time is spoken of only concerning the when we believe. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So many folks are looking to see the change. They're looking to see the results before they believe. Brother Hagin told a story about one pastor of, uh, of a church that he was ministering in. He had a, a three or four week meeting in this church. And this pastor, one of the reasons that he had invited Brother Hagin to hold a seminar at his church uh, was that he had been diagnosed with a critical condition or something that would be critical, something that would wind up taking his life. He wasn't bedfast. He wasn't confined to his, um, uh, to his room or anything like that. But it was something that if it, they didn't do um, something about it, if something didn't change in his condition, it would eventually lead to his death. Well, Brother Hagen was teaching in his church. And he, through, at the end of his service, he was laying hands on, on the sick. And he came to this pastor. It was the first night of the meeting that they held. And he came to this pastor and he laid hands on him. And of course, everybody in the church knew about his condition. They knew about what the diagnosis was. So it wasn't a surprise to anybody. It wasn't a betrayal of confidence or anything like that. He and Brother Hagen, he, the pastor, and Brother Hagen had talked about the situation already. And the pastor told him that one of the reasons he wanted Brother Hagen to preach in his church is so he could lay hands on him for healing. So at the end of the first night service, this pastor comes up and, uh, for Brother Hagen to minister to him, and he does. He lays hands on him, declares the healing power of God to go into, his, into him and uh, affect a healing and a cure in his body from the top of his head to the soles of his feet. And then Brother Hagen stepped back, and by the revelation of the Holy Ghost, he knew that that power had gone into the man and came right back out. Well, that was always an indication with Brother Hagen that whoever it was didn't take hold of it by faith. The power was there and the power was available to heal him. But if he didn't take hold of it, it wasn't gonna, nothing was going to change. And so Brother Hagin knew this by the uh, inspiration of the Holy Ghost when he prayed for him. And so he asked the pastor, when are you going to start believing for your healing? 
And the pastor responded and said, well, when I have it. And Brother Hagin said, why would you want to believe it then? At that point, you'd know it, wouldn't you? Now, Brother Hagin was talking about the difference between believing something and knowing something. Faith has to do with what you can't see. Faith doesn't have anything to do with what you know in that context. Faith has nothing to do with the physical circumstances, the physical realities, the physical facts of whatever condition of sickness and disease you happen to be standing in faith for. The timing of faith is very simple. It's something that most people fail to get. It's something that a lot of people stumble over. But in reality, it's very simple. Jesus said, believe that we receive when we pray. In other words, believe God heard and answered your prayer before you're even finished with that prayer. And then it says, you shall have them. Now, having is a part of knowing. Because when he's talking about having, he's talking about something materializing in this physical realm. Well, once something, whether it's healing or finances or anything else we believe for, once something materializes in this physical realm, there's no need for faith anymore. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Faith has nothing to do with things you do see. So faith ends. That was a point that Brother Bosworth brought out. Your faith for anything that the Bible promises you is done away with or it becomes uh, unnecessary once you see the answer. Faith always deals with the unseen. Faith always deals with the unseen. Now there's a positive side and a negative side to that. We've talked about the negative side where people try to believe what they see. They try to believe in healing or choose to believe in healing at the point where they see the answer. But the other side is, since faith has nothing to do with the things that you see, there's not a circumstance that the devil can bring against you, no attack that the enemy can bring against you that can't be overcome or solved or fixed or cured by the operation of faith. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Brother Hagin said to the pastor, when are you going to start believing for your healing? And the pastor said, when I have it. Brother Hagin answered, well, why would you want to believe for it then? Seems like you'd know it. And the pastor, it confused the pastor, and he said, say that again. So Brother Hagin started from the beginning. He said, when are you going to start believing that you receive your healing? And the pastor answered with the same response once again, when I have it. And Brother Hagin questioned him, why would you want to believe for it then? Seems like you'd know it at that point. Well, the pastor was still confused. And so he said to Brother Hagin, say that again. So they went through the whole thing the third time. Now, Brother Hagin said that he knew that there was nothing that he was going to be able to get across to this pastor. He said, I just knew in my heart that there's no way that I could effectively or sufficiently explain to this guy about believing you receive when you pray. And he said, I continued with the guy, with the pastor, hoping that people in the congregation would get it. And by the time they went through it the third time, there were people in the congregation that were chuckling as the pastor would answer and Brother Hagin would respond. In other words, they were getting it. They were beginning to see that faith deals with the unseen, not the seen. To wait for something you see negates any need whatsoever for faith. And people do that in a variety of ways. Some people are believing for or think they're believing for or trying to believe for 
a manifestation of the Holy Ghost to bring their healing to them. And a lot of times the reason that they do is because they were healed that way once before. I can't tell you, it's, it's really a surprise to me how many times people come up and want me to lay hands on them for healing. And they tell me about some other conditions they had many years before, some period of time before in their lives. And how God man, uh, ministered the Holy Ghost to them in such a way that some spiritual gift or some manifestation of the Holy Ghost took away the, the sickness or the disease, fixed the condition, really without any effort or, or operation of faith on the part of the individual. Well, God will do that for baby Christians. He'll do that for new believers very often. But most people under, misunderstand what it's for. Most people think that God's showing them the way that healing's always going to come. And that's rarely the case. There's a lot of things that I do for my kids, did for my kids when they were young, that I don't do for them anymore now that they're grown. There were some things that were appropriate for me to do for my kids concerning their welfare, to do things on their behalf, that now that they're grown, it's their responsibility, not mine. Well, that's uh, an illustration, maybe a poor one, but that's an illustration how that sometimes, oftentimes, baby Christians are delivered from the work of the devil, delivered from sickness or disease in some way because God is showing them how merciful he is as their heavenly father. Not as a sign that this is the way it always works. You may remember that Jesus, when he was in his own hometown of Nazareth, as identified in Luke chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. The Bible says Jesus was teaching in the synagogues, telling them specifically, Luke 4.18 tells specifically what he said. He claimed that the anointing of God was on him to heal the sick. But he couldn't get anybody healed in Nazareth, at least nobody with any serious conditions. The only thing the Bible says that he was able to do is lay his hands on a few sickly folks and, and uh, get them healed. Well, the word sickly is brought out by Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words. That word sickly means folks with minor ailments. Nobody had much wrong with them. And it says in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And he could there, talking about his own hometown of Nazareth, and he could there do no mighty work. Doesn't say he wouldn't. Said that he couldn't. And if you compare that with Luke chapter 4, both are in the same setting, two accounts of the same situation. What he preached to them, as identified in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. What he preached to them clearly showed that it was the will of God for the sick to be healed in that town. Well, if God wills for the sick to be healed in that town, but Jesus was unable, he could there. Not Again, he doesn't say he wouldn't. It says he couldn't. Now, I know that cuts across some people's ideas of Jesus and God and the way things work. So many times, and it's easy to think that Jesus, because he was the Son of God, had an anointing, which the Bible says he was anointed beyond measure. That means he had every part of the Holy Ghost, every part of the power of God that was available. Well, most people would have the idea that it, since it was identified in Scripture that it was God's will for those people in Nazareth to be healed, and Jesus was anointed to bring the healing, then of course everybody would have been healed. But that's not the way it works, folks. Regardless of God's will for all of mankind to be healed. And we know that's true. Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 2. He said, God would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
That word saved is the word sozo, the Greek word sozo. It literally means everything that was accomplished through salvation. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. It means to make safe. It means to make sound. It means to make whole or heal. Since the Bible said Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, that's sin. He was bruised for our iniquities, that's another sin. The difference between those two seems to be Jesus paying the price for man's original sin. When, God, when Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, I started to put Adam in the Garden of Gethsemane, that's not where he was, in the Garden of Eden. When he sinned against God, that sin had to be paid for. Jesus paid for that sin. Well, what about our individual sins? Jesus paid for those too. That seems to be the difference in why it speaks of two aspects of iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He paid a price for your financial well-being. Well-being in every area, including finances. And finally, the last phrase in Isaiah 53, 4, or 53, 5, I should say. And by his stripes, we are healed. And by his stripes, we are healed. That means God wants everybody saved. He wants everybody to enjoy all the benefits of salvation. Very clearly stated from, by the definition of the words that are used in Scripture, it's the will of God for everybody to be healed. Now, again, most people have the idea that if God wants something, that's the way it's going to be. But just as God wants everybody to be saved or to receive Jesus as their Savior and come into his family, we know that a lot of people won't. The Bible says the road to hell is wide. There are a lot of people that are going to fail to receive any part of what Jesus did. Not because it was God's will for them to fail to receive. Not because it's only God's plan or purpose to, for a certain number of people to be saved. But because God won't usurp man's will. You were given authority on this earth concerning your own life. And God will not dominate or overcome your own will. That's why Jesus said, whosoever will, let him come. Because we already know there's the will of God for everybody to be forgiven of their sins, redeemed by his blood, and a part of that redemption includes healing for the physical body. So when people come up and start telling me stories about how that earlier in their life they prayed God did something by manifestation of the Holy Ghost and they may not even know that that's what it was. They may not even know that that was what took place. But they haven't done the work to find out what the Bible says about what belongs to them. So it's not a faith proposition. It's them wanting to duplicate what experience they had before. And folks, that won't work. It just won't work. So Jesus talks about the when. He talks about the timing. Therefore, I say unto you, Mark eleven twenty four 24 says, what things soever you desire. Well, that would have to include healing, wouldn't it? Healing's a thing we could desire. It's a thing we do desire, especially if you've been diagnosed with sickness or disease. Healing and health becomes even more important to us at that point. So Jesus said, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. He's talking about healing existing in two forms. First, in the unseen realm. That's why faith is necessary, because the healing is unseen. It's not apparent. It's not a physical fact or a physical reality yet. And that's why we need faith. Faith brings the things of the unseen, things of the kingdom of God that we can't yet see, and brings it into this material realm. Well, what is it about faith that brings those unseen blessings, the unseen blessing of healing, into physical reality? 
Well, Jesus identified it as what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them. The when of faith is when you pray. Not when you see, not when you feel, but when you pray. Now turn with me over to Mark chapter 5. Here's a story, a great story in my opinion, that identifies faith in action. It shows the individual's part and it shows Jesus' part. Starting in verse 25, and it says, And a certain woman which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better but rather grew worse, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, I'm going to stop there and make a couple of comments, but skip down to verse 34. Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. So everything we see in operation in this woman's life, everything that we see that the Bible tells us that she did or said or thought or whatever, all that was a part of what Jesus identified as faith. Now, he's talking about the same thing that he describes to his disciples in Mark chapter 11 where we just read. When Peter said, look, master, the fig tree is dried up from the roots. We remember you cursed that yesterday. Jesus said, have faith in God. So he's talking about the operation of faith. He's talking about the principle of faith. He's talking about the spiritual force of faith. He's talking about changing things in your life. So notice what she did. Notice what Jesus identified as faith. Let's back up again, starting verse 20 all over. Or verse 25, I'm sorry. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians... And it's been all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. If we stop right there and talk about this for a little bit, we would have to recognize that the Bible is telling us that there's no additional help for her. Medical science couldn't help her. She's not only run through what medical science may have promised for her, but she spent all of her money in getting it, in getting to that place. So she's desperate. There's no additional hope from anybody or any source whatsoever. If this thing with Jesus healing the sick doesn't work for her, she'll eventually die from this condition. So she had this issue of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and it was nothing better but rather grew worse. That sounds like a hopeless situation to me. How about you? When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. Now I'm going to read to you real quick. I'm going to come back to Mark chapter 5. But I'm going to read to you from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Notice it says in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Notice again what the woman with the issue of blood did. If we read further in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Folks, that's the only way faith does come. By hearing the word. So anybody that 
chooses not to operate in faith because it is a choice. Anybody that chooses not to operate in faith has chosen not to hear the word. Because every time you hear the word preached, faith is the result. You don't even have to try to get faith. If you hear the truth of the word, then faith is produced without any effort on the part of the hearer. Faith is something that comes by putting the word first place in your life. It comes by developing an attitude that the word of God is true no matter what I see or feel. The word of God reveals to us what Jesus did, the work that Jesus did, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how long the circumstances have been in place. For her, it was 12 years. That's a long time, folks. But it could have gone much longer if she had chosen not to hear the word about Jesus. Now, whatever she heard about Jesus had to include physical touch. She's either heard because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. We know what her faith was in. Her faith was in just being able to touch his garment. So that means that touching his garment either stands for physical touch, meaning she could have heard that Jesus was laying hands on the sick and healing them, or she's heard that people were healed by touching his garment. And the Bible tells us in Matthew, a couple of places in Matthew, that that's exactly what took place, that these crowds would push in toward Jesus and touch his clothes, and as many as touched his clothes were made whole. Maybe she's heard about that. Maybe she's just heard that Jesus is laying hands on the sick and healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. And in her mind, that physical touch would be accomplished by touching his clothes. It's got to be one of those two because that's what she has faith in. That's what she has faith for. And if the only way you get faith is by hearing the word, then that has to be what she's heard. Are you with me? So when she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway, notice verse 29, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. See, Jesus knows that the power of God that went out of him, that he was aware aware of going out of him and into somebody else, has affected a change in somebody's body. He knows what it was. He knows it was healing power. He knows that it's part of that power that he told even in his own hometown of Nazareth, in Luke chapter 4, that he was anointed with. To bring healing and health to people. He knows. He knows that somebody in that crowd is different. Now folks one of the things that the disciples said. When Jesus asked who touched me. They said that the multitude throng you thee. In other words that means everybody that can is touching you. Everybody that can push their way close enough to get to you is touching you. How are we going to find just one person that touched you? Well Jesus knows that somebody received. One person received out of all the people that were reaching in trying to touch him, doing exactly the same action, taking exactly the same action that the woman with the issue of blood did. It's not just physical action that brings the results. See, we sometimes hear what somebody else did to get their healing, and we try to ape and imitate or mimic what they did. And that rarely works. Rarely works. So they're all touching Jesus. I'm of the firm opinion that the woman with the issue of blood is not the only person in this crowd that's sick. 
if she is, it's the first multitude we have record of where there was only one person that was sick. But here you've got people in the same conditions or in the same situation as a woman with tissue of blood in that they have sickness or disease in their bodies. You've got people that may have been as critical as she is or maybe even worse. Reaching out and touching his clothes. But apparently the woman with the issue of blood is the only one that reaches out and touches him in faith. She's the only one that reaches, and touch, reaches out to touch him because of something she believes. Everybody else must be trying to give Jesus a try. Let's touch Jesus and see what happens. Well, now they know nothing happens. Unless you take the action as a result of your faith. So, here's this woman. Again, it's verse 29, I think. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. The Lord drew my attention to this word felt a couple of weeks back. This word felt is literally the word to know. It's the Greek word gnoskos. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but that's how it's pronounced, or that's how it's written. So she gnoskoed. Now it may have been a feeling for her, but the word that's used doesn't just mean feeling. It means to have knowledge of something. It literally says, when she reached out and touched Jesus because of what she believed. How do we know she believed it? Because she began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. So you've got the same two principles of believing with the heart and saying with the mouth that Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 talk about being necessary to enter into the family of God or to be saved. Same principle of faith. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Well, faith that brings, in, brings you into the family of God works by believing that God raised Jesus from the dead and confessing him as your Lord. Believing in the heart and confessing with the mouth. That's the same operation of faith that took place in this woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. Now, how in the world can the church claim, and so much of the church does, how in the world can the church claim that healing's been done away with when faith is the very thing that brings healing to pass? You'll never hurt anybody, and you never will hear anybody say that faith's been done away with. Because if faith's been done away with, nobody's saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. If faith's not a real deal anymore, then nobody can be saved. Thank God faith hadn't been done away with. And so her faith brought her into healing. Well, if her faith brought her into healing, why wouldn't your faith do the same thing? So straightway, after touching Jesus, straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt or knew in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Now notice verse 30. It says Jesus knowing in himself. That word knowing comes from the same word as the word felt in verse 29. Verse 29 says she gnoskoed. Verse 30 said Jesus epigonoscoed. Now the difference in those two, the difference in the word knowing where it says Jesus knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, it just simply means to recognize. So gnosko means the knowledge of something real. Epigonosco means the recognition of something that happened. And that's the only difference in those two words. 
She knew something happened. Jesus knew something happened. Now, I don't know why the Lord is bringing this to my attention. But it was one of those things that he woke me up with in the morning. First thing in the morning. You know that place in the morning where you just barely open your eyes and you're between sleep and awake? That's a great place for God to speak to us. Because we're awake. But just enough awake for our minds not to trap whatever or uh, deny whatever is being said by the Lord. And he brought to my attention that word felt. She felt. She believed and then she felt. And that's exactly the opposite of what so many people are trying to do. They're trying to feel and then believe. But again, this word felt is the word know. So if somebody's trying to know before they believe, once they know, what's the point in believing? You don't need faith for something after you know it. Faith is the title deed of things not seen. It has nothing to do with, it has no bearing on things that you see. But the same operation that brings us into the family of God brings us into the healing power of God, if this woman is any indication. And it's a perfect story because it's not talking about how Jesus was anointed to heal. But it does reference and identify what the elements of faith really are. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt or knew in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately knowing, recognizing in himself that virtue, that the word power, dunamis, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing, here's this word knowing again. It comes from the same root as gnosko. Knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith, not my power. Now we know the power is what cleared up the problem in her body. Jesus felt the power go out of him or knew the power left him. So when Jesus says your faith has made you whole, he's not discounting or denying the power of God in its operation. He's saying your faith triggered the power that was available for anybody and everybody in that crowd. God's no respecter of persons, folks. Which means if healing power was available for the woman with issue of blood in this crowd that's thronging Jesus then for him not to be a respecter of persons, for him not to play favorites and play games with the lives of those that don't receive, then the same healing power had to be available for all. And it was. But only one person in this crowd, how big the multitude was, you decide for yourself. I don't know. I've always had been of the impression that multitude means a whole lot of people. Because there are other words he could have used for smaller crowds. But however many people were there, the healing power of God was available for each and every person in that crowd. But only one took hold of it. Only one had enough knowledge or understanding to operate in faith so that that at the point where she touches his garment, that healing power accomplishes what she said that it would do. Daughter, thy faith has, has made you whole. How do we identify our faith? Well, we know she had faith because Jesus said she did. How did she get the faith that Jesus talked about? When she heard of Jesus. When she heard of Jesus. Well, a lot of people have heard of Jesus. What was the difference in her and them? 
when she heard of Jesus, she began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. So what did she do? She came in the press behind and touched him. She believed in her heart that Jesus was sent with healing power for mankind. Something had to trigger that faith. She had to have heard that Jesus was healing the sick. So she began to say. Now I'm sure that everybody else in that crowd has heard something similar about Jesus. But by the difference in the results that the woman got compared with the lack of results that everybody else in that crowd got, we can easily and have to conclude that whatever they heard about Jesus didn't make them start saying, if I can just touch him, I shall be whole. If I can just touch him, I shall be whole. Now, God didn't make that happen for her. She chose. She chose to take what she heard of Jesus and take action on it. And the action she took was twofold. First, she began to say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And secondly, the second step to her action is she had to come in the press behind and touch him like she said. And Jesus said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Your faith has made you whole. Now, Brother Bosworth pointed out in some of the things that we read earlier in the service or the beginning of the service, Brother Bosworth points out that faith is the title deed for things that you can't see. It's the title deed. It means something belongs to you. So in this woman's case, what she heard of Jesus said to her that healing can be a possession of her own too. So she began to say, faith is just using what belongs to us. If Jesus was sent to the earth to heal the sick, which obviously he was, that's not all he was sent to do, but that's a, certainly a part of it, a big part of his ministry here on the earth. When she heard that Jesus was healing the sick, she recognized that that healing was available for her. I'd like to know her thought process to get to that point. It would be interesting to know what did she think about what she heard that caused her to begin to speak and say, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. But we don't have that information. What we only know is that she took it personally enough to take hold of it for herself. It's a sad thing to me to think about all the people in that crowd that didn't get anything. And I'm well satisfied knowing the, the nature of people. I'm well satisfied that they went away blaming God some way or another. Maybe saying of Jesus that he wasn't all that he was touted to be. When the healing power of God was just as available to them and for them as it was the woman who received it. Jesus identified that as the same faith that killed the fig tree. Now if you'd begun to look at the fig tree after Jesus cursed it, that you wouldn't have seen a change. And if you were only going by what you could see, it would have been very long in the process before you would recognize that a change was occurring. That's why the Bible identifies that the tree dried up from the roots. The unseen part. As soon as Jesus spoke and cursed the fig tree, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever, the life of that tree was severed. But you couldn't see it right away, could you? The leaves stayed green, I'm sure, for some period of time, some number of hours. 
So eventually, you could see from the circumstances, the outward appearance, that something was going on with the tree. But that's not when things started happening in the tree. They started happening at the moment Jesus spoke. The moment he cursed the fig tree. The moment he said, no man eat fruit of the hereafter forever. Folks, I'm convinced that that's the way it works with healing. I'm convinced that a lot of times when we reach out in faith or declare the word of God over our bodies, that something changes. Now, we may not feel anything change. We may not be like the woman with issue of blood who felt in her body that something had happened. So if we don't have a feeling that it confirms it, what is it that we have to know to hold us steady? Well, one of the things that we have to know is that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. The Bible says very specifically that that was laid on Jesus just like sin was laid upon him. Romans 5.12 says, For God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be the righteousness of Christ in him. Well, Jesus didn't have to sin. Jesus didn't become a sinner for sin to be laid on him, did he? No, it said God made him to be sin as our substitute. That doesn't mean he committed sin. That means he was our sacrifice or our substitute for sin. And the Bible also tells us that God made Jesus poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, I believe it is. It says God made Jesus to be poor, made him impoverished. That we through his poverty might be made rich. Here's the price and the work that Jesus paid for us in our material possession, material and financial possessions. That's a part of the blessing of Abraham that belongs to us now. Well, what did Jesus have to do for us to have that blessing of Abraham? To be above only and not beneath. To be the head and not the tail. To be blessed coming in and going out. Blessed in the city and blessed in the field. What did Jesus have to do to bring that blessing to us? Or make that blessing our possession? Well, the Bible says the chastisement or punishment of our peace. Our well-being in every area was upon Jesus. So Jesus was made poor. A lot of people think that has to do with Jesus' condition in his earthly ministry. But folks, the Bible says Judas was the treasurer, his ministry treasurer. If Jesus was a homeless guy living under a bridge, like so much of the church world thinks that he was, then what do you need a treasurer for? Furthermore, the Bible tells us that at Jesus' crucifixion, the Roman soldiers thought so much about the clothes that he was wearing, the cloak that he had on his back. That they gambled for it. Well, folks, again, if Jesus was some homeless guy living under a bridge, who wants their clothes? But it identifies that Jesus was well-dressed, so much so that the Roman soldiers gambled for his clothes. So he must have had, Jesus must have had and must have worn better clothes than the Roman soldiers did, or else they wouldn't have wanted to gamble for it. So of the three things that the Bible talks about being the curse of the law, Spiritual death, poverty, and now healing. Two of those are very specifically identified that Jesus was made. Sin to pay the price for spiritual death and poor to pay the price for poverty. Isaiah 53.10 says God made Jesus sick. Doesn't mean Jesus had cancer. It means God laid upon him. Just like he laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Just like he laid upon him the chastisement of our peace. God laid upon Jesus Sickness and disease. And Jesus paid the same price for all three. 
That price was his precious blood. So if faith is, as Brother Bosworth said, and we read it earlier, if faith is simply using what belongs to us, then the only thing we need to know is what belongs to us. And then our believing with heart and saying with our mouth can bring it into reality in our lives. Well, what belongs to us? Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the blessing of prosperity, and healing from every sickness and every disease. Now we have the same opportunity that the woman with the issue of blood had. The question now becomes, we know what the Bible says, what are we going to do with it? Well, she gained success by beginning to say, if I just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. She had something to look forward to doing. For us, we simply need to look back and use our faith for what's already been done. And that brings us right back to Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, believe you receive them and you shall have them. In other words, believe that Jesus paid the price for your sin, for your poverty, and for your sickness. Same price he paid, same substitutionary work he did for sin, he did for sickness too. With his stripes, we were healed. With his stripes, we were healed. Well, if we were healed, then I am. How about you? So what's left for us to do? Pray the prayer of faith. James chapter 5 verse 14 says, The prayer of faith shall save or heal the sick. It's that word sozo again. It means all-encompassing salvation. The prayer of faith shall save or shall heal the sick. And the Lord shall raise them up. Well, what does the prayer of faith do? Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's true. As we read and as we understand more and more, Father, it's wonderful to recognize how simple the operation of faith is. We simply gain knowledge of what your word says and through the hearing of the word that faith is produced in our heart to receive it and then as we speak with our mouths just what the Bible says Jesus accomplished for us. When we say with our mouths that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed and don't turn back from that. Hold fast the confidence that we have in your word. It brings it to pass. It takes healing from the unseen realm and makes it a reality in the physical realm. Oh, Father, you're so good to us. Thank you so much for your great plan of redemption. And Jesus, we thank you for carrying it out, for willing to be, for being willing to be our sacrifice and our substitute. Therefore, we declare that we're righteous in the name of Jesus. We declare that we're rich through the work of Jesus, we declare that we're healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You believe that? All right, say it with me. Thank God for healing. I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. Amen. Have a great week, folks.